This podcast was recorded in 2018. So welcome to Juniper Tree Presents Unvoiced After Show. I'm Louisa, the Artistic Director of Juniper Tree, and it's a pleasure for me to introduce my co-host for this series, Aaron Rush. Hello. Uh, He's going to be interviewing all of our creatives and performers throughout the series, and he's also the wonderful photographer for the Unvoiced podcast. Don't say that quite yet, because you haven't seen the photos. (laughs) We haven't seen all the photos yet. Uh, We're also joined today by the writer, director and performers, and the composer of the very spooky Leave the Tape Running, uh, director Pollyanna Newcomb, uh, writer Joseph Blunt, composer Patrick Craig, and our lovely, lovely actors, Nick Harris, Bronwyn Price, Stanley Eldridge, Matthew Duckett, and Nick. Dis. Welcome, everyone. Hello. How are we all doing? <laughs> do, we, do we cheer? Lovely do chorus. We? Yay! Yay! Lovely. As always, we are joined by the silent voice in our room, the sound designer, the marvellous man, Jareth Turner. Oh. Yes, we clap He's got a beautiful voice. He does have a beautiful voice. You never just let him never speak. hear it. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. So we've just finished recording the first episode. How have you all found it? Great. Yeah. Brilliant. Right. Good, Good, cool. Interview over. Done. <laughs> That's it. I don't need to ask you anything else. That's pretty much it. Obviously, there's lots of you in here. We'll sort of go around sort of bit by bit, ask you all a little bit about yourselves and what you're doing and what you're up to. Um, so, Joe, we'll start with you. Joe is the writer okay. of uh, tonight's episode, Leave the Tape Running. Um, so, Joe, this is your first venture into writing. Yeah. How have you found it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, how have you found it? to do it in school, so it was hard to get tricky to get hang of all the shapes of the letters, but I got there eventually. How have, how have you found writing for radio and for a podcast? As it's well? been fun. Like you know, it's actually been uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I think I'm thinking of writing something else after this. It's inspired me to write more. Ooh. But yeah, we are doing other series, so like so, oh, maybe we can do a return later hey, on. You're right, guys. Yeah, yeah. Just give me a call after this. Uh, but no, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's something I've wanted to write for a while. Definitely, especially something scary. Because mm. I think, especially in an audio medium, something scary feels a lot more intimate, a lot more personal. And especially, kind of, yeah, you can elicit more scares if it's just there in a couple of headphones and it's someone's personal experience listening to it. Very spooky. Yeah. How did you How did you come up the, with the idea for this particular story? So I listen to a lot of podcasts. Cause I'm fun like that. I'm very rock and roll. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Wild Saturday nights. You know what I'm Joe, like? Yeah, yeah. Just sit in, get a beer, and listen to some podcasts. Whee! No offense, listeners, because like. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening. <laughs> really sorry. <laughs> You're all incredibly really cool. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I listen to a lot of uh, podcasts, which are cool. Uh, found that out. And uh, yeah, I, I listen to a lot of kind of things called No Sleep, which is kind of a spooky story oh podcast. No I, awesome. I, no I know that awesome. one. I yeah. literally can't listen to it any time, even in the evenings, because then it will just ruin my evening. <laughs> and then it's I'll, be, I'll, I'll be at, It yeah. has to be daylight. There has to be like an area I'm not scared. <laughs> Occasionally, the tube's even a little bit far. But <laughs> yeah. No Sleep ruins me. Oh. Oh god! Listen to No Sleep though; it's great. It's a oh, great yeah. podcast. It's a great podcast. It listen might not this, ruin then. you. <laughs> <laughs> and so I listened to those, and I was listening to another podcast called Law, which tells uh, famous stories. And I went on a bit of a down a rabbit hole of kind of all this spooky stuff, true spooky stories. And I found this thing on a BBC website. And this play is actually based on real events. You can go out there and actually find the tapes that they recorded, and it's truly terrifying because they do get a voice coming through. So yeah, it was inspired by this 
real event that happened. So um, was this a, so was this an experiment that was conducted in the similar way that the sort of Dr. Cobra event yeah, is done? Yes. And they actually get real life mm-hmm. what like children coming through? They or? get uh, they get a voice coming through, but it's very staticky. You can't really hear it. But yeah, it's a publishing house got the rights to uh, the real doctor's name. His name escapes me, but he was Lithuanian. And this Lithuanian doctor said, I've revolutionised, I've proven there's life after death. And so they got him in, got the rights to the book, and they tried the experiment just to make sure that this was all right. And they had some reports there from the Daily Mail, back when it was a reputable paper, to say that with air quotes. And, um, yeah, but they... they were reporting on ghost stories. Yeah, they, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Daily Mail have reported on 30's Drive and Pontefract. They've reported on the Enfield Houses. Like, yeah. they've, they've been they, a go-to for ghost stories. And yeah, like it, was, that, so. it was their thing. But they, even though it happened, they had the recording, they refused to publish it. Uh, the next day, so they never actually published the story. So, although this is your first time writing for a podcast, mm-hmm. this is not your first time on a podcast, no, it's is not. it, Joe? No. Um, Joe actually <laughs> has uh, his own podcast called One Wine Review, which you pu- produced with your very good friend Andy. Yes. Um, tell us a bit about that and what made you want to make podcasts sort of in the first place. Why do you want to set it up? I like drinking. And there you are. Uh, what we do on our podcast <laughs> is uh, we drink and we review a really bad TV show. Now, what we do is we down a bottle of wine under half an hour and then we find a really bad TV show to watch and we review it and we do some improv sketches some skits funny voices songs it's yeah it's, an, it's a lot of fun so maybe give it a listen does this podcast are cool does there tend to be quite a few sommeliers like listening to your podcast oh yeah all the is time you know yeah they come following. to us for wine suggestions like this is great to get shit face to and watch bromans on iv2 <laughs> that sort of stuff and um, also for more information on joe's podcast and all of our creatives and performers um, that are here today and on the rest of the series um you can find all of their information and links to all of their personal websites and all of their projects on our website um so don't worry you can find uh, the link to one wine review on there as well for joe mm. Anything else for me? Yeah, I've got plenty. Oh, let's go there. Let's let's have it. Let's let's go for it. Joseph Blunt. Hello. Where were you on the night? Where's the bright light? I mean, all of them will be the same level of uh, sort of good artistic questions. Any relation to the famed Emily or James Blunt? I've never heard that before. That is, (laughs) unfortunately not, but I'm going to capitalise on their fame. Which one? Uh, if you had to pick a favourite. Probably Emily, if I'm honest. Oh, yeah. James Blunt has got a huge Twitter following. Why He's got a huge not? Twitter following, yeah. But Twitter's yeah, but... not relevant anymore. Oh, oh. oh. shots fired. Oh. Did not realise this podcast was going to be so controversial. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can say Asking all the hard questions. Yeah. With alcohol in a very tiny space. Who knew? Who knew? Twitter's still relevant. Follow us on... Follow us on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> what a link. What please, a link. Please, please still follow us. Turns out Aaron's run back to MySpace. <laughs> Tom will be crying and begging. <laughs> please take me back. <laughs> anyway, Joseph Blunt, you are also an actor. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you're going to be featured name. in one of our later podcasts as well. So yeah. just tell us a little bit about that and. Oh, and you, extra you better buckle up, listener. It's a wild ride. It's going to be good. For the thrills, chills and spills. <laughs> that's the only way I can describe it. <laughs> that's, that's, what we'll, a writer. <laughs> that's what we'll... That's what we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Should we just on the we, dramatic cliffhanger that that was? I'll see you later on episode four, I think. <laughs> episode, episode four. four. Yeah. See you then. Stay tuned. Keep it locked. We'll meet back. Juniper so, tree. moving on. <laughs> Pollyanna. 
Oh. Hey, Pollyanna Newcomb, you are our director for this episode. Mm. Um, you are currently on the Mount View Directors course. I am. Oh, she just. Um, and along with our, another one of our uh, directors in this project, you're about to start your final director's season for Mount View. Um, can you tell us a bit about the piece that you're doing and what you're going to be working on? So the season, I gather, is called Catalyst, Catalyst is that right? yeah, that's exactly it. So I've chosen a piece which is set in the near future. Uh, it's got a the main protagonist is a female, which is something which was quite important to me to do for this uh, this festival. It's basically about um, a young woman who, because of her events that have happened in her past, she has volunteered for a medical trial. The medical trial is sort of born out of humanity's search for perfection, and it's in a place where genetic engineering is advanced somewhat since, uh, from where it is now. Um, so the experiment's basically trying to create, create a superhuman race um, and technological and scientific advancements sort of blur the lines of what's normal and this young woman is basically fighting in the play to cling on to what she thinks is her own human instinct or what's being predetermined by technology or science. So, yeah. Very nice. That's how you plug something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> What's the name of that play? If people oh yeah, sorry. That? So it's called Homo Superior. It's by a writer called Megan Fellows, um, and it's produced by a guy called Piers Cotty Jones. So have you been directed for a while? You've actually come from a very interesting background. You yeah. weren't originally a director. No. As far as I'm aware. So directing has been my my side piece for a while. Side <laughs> piece. A little bit on the side. <laughs> yeah, it's been my side piece, my little passion project. Because you. You were an economic student and you worked in the financial sector for about however long? Five years. Five years? Yeah. Oh, so wow. I did economics and then worked in private equity for five years. Why the move? So I was always planning on moving, but my plan was to stay in finance and save up enough money to start my own um, Bauhaus project. Don't know if that means anything to anyone. It's a Berlin-based artistic movement where they basically had loads of sculptors, artists, uh, a whole host of creatives together and they created their own sort of movement. I wanted to do a similar thing in theatre with like writers, directors, it's almost like a, a juniper tree. It's almost yeah. like this. Oh, oh, oh my god! Oh. Um, so, do we have a weird air horn sound? Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, but actually, I I couldn't stay there because it was so soulless. It was so vapid. So I had to move out. That, and that was it. So I got a place at Mountview, and and here it was we no are. No longer my side piece. It's now my main love. Main love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like being a part of a podcast? Obviously, this is new to you as well. Yeah. Um, as it is with actually, I think all of the directors, all female directors on our podcast. But you're quite used to working with classical work. That's you, that's where a lot of your sort of training has come for more recently. How's it like moving into new writing? Obviously, you're doing that more with the Catalyst season as well. Yeah. Is that something that you're trying to advocate more for? Move into etc etc yeah so i think i think classical work's important because it's important that it's made accessible uh to more people rather than everyone just thinking it's you know boring old shakespeare but i also think new work's really important because uh new writers and new talent should be given the opportunity to um have their have their work put on and i think there's a lot of talent around at the moment and there's a lot of great material so i think that aspect of it's really important and also it's really interesting to actually work with the writer as opposed to just going off something that was written hundreds of years ago or however long ago it was. So it's a completely different skill set, I think, and it's a lot more dynamic and it can be a lot more exciting. Mm. We've said this is a collaborative process, but Joe and Pollyanna have only just met today. And I'm 100 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the context is, is, is well adjusted. We've had, um, an, we've had an E... E we, we had an e-meet, yeah. Yeah, because we're millennials, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> 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 
realistically, uh, has any of the kind of financial asset management skills, have they kind of been quite well used um, in so the theatre world? Yeah, so I think actually the most interesting thing really that came out of it was that I was exposed to quite a few different cultures and also different types of people, the types of people you don't typically get in theatre. Um, yeah. So that was really interesting. And I've, the whole industry was really, it's built on people wanting to make rich people more rich, um, which I think is so soulless. So it's actually made me value the arts a lot more. And I love what I love about the arts, really on the back of that, there's lots of things I love about the arts, but just on the back of my experience in finance, I love how much it values people's individual contributions and how everyone being an individual is so important uh, that actually that's the driving force behind the arts and theatre oh, for me and people's absolutely. different stories and how important it is that we share those stories with each other. Whereas in finance, they want everyone to be homogenous and they, they're not interested in the human aspect of anything. So actually, although some of the skills I've learned in terms of people management are useful in directing, it's more what it's taught me about what I think about the world that I've brought to the arts, which I think is what will help me in my career going forward. Yes. Yeah. 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 Realistically, that is one of the bravest decisions to be able to make. Like, yeah. To actually Completely. kind of just immediately cast all of that aside and then just actually follow something that truly does have a soul yeah. and what is truly your passion is a fantastic yeah. idea. And yeah, it's I'd, pretty I'd scary. Say <laughs> it's very scary. It must be incredibly also quite liberating brave to be able to make that decision and just go, you know what, I've done it, move on. Yeah, I no, absolutely. So many people just Respect to do that. Yeah, I mean, well, as I was leaving, so many people at my work, were say, my old work, were saying, "Oh, you know, everyone really wants to do something like that." And I think people, a lot of people, do. But they, yeah, they never do. They never, they never do. Is that a prevailing mood within, like, um, I imagine, I don't know, it might be older people as well, but young people in that kind of sector, that very, like you say, uh, getting on for the sake of getting on. Yeah, but sector. they only do it to make money. There's yeah. no other drive to be in finance. I did it also originally kind of fool myself thinking I just like to be surrounded by intelligent people, which mm. I do, and you can get that in lots of industries, uh, in um, industries, yeah. But I don't know. It, it's, 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 it's just not right. It's not true. Like everyone eventually, after even six months there, it's so hard to not be tainted by it because mm. you start living the lifestyle that you're being paid yeah. for and that you, you could be saving like so much money a year, but actually just up your lifestyle depending on how much you're being paid. And it's just ridiculous. I, I, so is, are there sort of people you worked with or people you came across that, that do have a kind of artistic kind of bedrock and are just yeah. sort of c covering it up with, with like, you, like you've done? Do you, do you yeah. know what I mean? I think that might I be, think, for, yeah. for me as well, if I heard that, that would actually encourage me and go, okay, so maybe they're not all. Wankers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and to, to know that there are people out there going, well, you know, I'm not this, I'm not completely... Uh, sucked into this, yeah. this faceless corporation I, I do still have an arm outside yeah. of it kind of holding I think another. to be honest it's becoming less so because in finance as everything and other industries as everything moves increasingly towards te technology based basically that um, they want humans more and more to be like technology more and more efficient more and more no one cares about what you think what you feel I was told this is a man's world don't show any emotion which is ridiculous because I'm a human someone said of course that I'll to show. you yeah. Jesus oh, sometimes but it's like also really interesting if you move from such a different sector, especially to one like the arts, it is, as you say, it's, it's that massive leap of faith to take even to make that decision. But also it's a complete, I, I imagine, a massive mental adjustment. Mm, oh you, yeah. <laughs> you come from one environment, as you were saying, and moving into something that is very holistic, yeah. very sort of all-encompassing, you know, very encouraging atmospheres 
rather than a sort of... Yeah, I mean, writing a market report on the Friday and going into a clown class on the Monday <laughs> was a bit jarring. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit of a change, a little bit of a change. <laughs> Patrick Craig, you are the composer of tonight's episode. You have written some BEA-utiful music Very for this. Um, this is our first venture working together, but actually we have known each other for quite some time. We met about... Nine years ago. It, it genuinely which is hurts me to say that that it's been that long. Genuinely, last night my fiance had to explain to me, getting my passport and a calculator, actually how old I was because I genuinely <laughs> forgot. And I've been telling everyone for the last eighteen months the wrong age. No, I've been saying no, I'm twenty two. It's fine, and I'm not. I'm twenty four. And she had to get a calculator and a passport and my passport to say no. Look, let's do the maths together. Sit me down and explain. But I, I could not believe it's been nine years it, so yeah. since we last actually laid. We've spoken to each other many times over Facebook and over email. We have e-spoke many a time. We have e-spoken. Uh, not a, not actually in, in person for nine years since we were last in Greenwich together. I also have very fond <laughs> memories of that time of lots of sort of jam session because it's people like getting getting used to sort of like oh like yeah let's sing in the kitchen together at every hour of the morning uh, and like having but like having that classic like 14 15 year old jam session in the kitchen you definitely on a guitar sitting around with about 10 different other people singing Bas some sort of oasis basically song. Remember, <laughs> remember every house party you're ever at where there was some guy with an acoustic guitar yeah. that was I me. was that guy I knew I recognised so, you oh no it was, it was so tiring to go. the brilliant thing as well is that when I went to university to study music suddenly I was in a situation where everyone was that oh, guy and it was brilliant and horrible in exactly yeah, the same way everyone's throwing the Wonder everyone, Wall grenade everyone was <laughs> I'm not proud of this and this might not make it in but the second night of university you didn't we, play Wonder Wonder we played Wonderwall for 27 no. minutes oh, because God, because 27 because, minutes no no no, no. I, oh, no, no, no. I, I made to justify myself to did you get the horse and, and shout out to Harrison Walk my very dear friend who did this because we did it in every accent every TV character's voice, every language we could muster, and we genuinely went round the room and got everyone involved in a little bit, and it was a very nice bonding, heartwarming moment. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we played Wonderwall for, <laughs> for 27, 27 minutes, minutes, and that's basically inexcusable. So, uh, But lots of exciting sorry. things have happened to you since then. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, essentially I've been playing Wonderwall for the last nine years. Sorry, but yeah, follow just follow up on that just before. <laughs> sorry, yeah. Please. That's the first time I've told that. What was the best accent you did? The best, genuinely, my favourite one that I remember was uh, we were doing uh, cartoon character voices, and we were sort of shout someone would shout a voice, and we'd be singing it in this way. And the ultimate moment was when someone shouted Kenny and my friend stood up, oh. pulled his hoodie over his head and just went... <laughs> but yeah, lots of exciting things have happened, especially in the most recent months. You've just got engaged! Um, I did, and it feels horribly grown up. We're getting married in just under a year. And oh. uh, it's all happening. It's all happening. How old are you? It's amazing. Uh, yeah. Don't mind me asking. No. Uh, sorry? How old are you? I am 24. God, I'm so old. Oh. We've, we've been together several years. Um, we, we're not the first out of our group of friends to get married, but it's going to be lovely. We're in a church that holds about 150 with about 300 people coming. So we're all wow. coming. So you're all coming. It's basically, imagine a punk gig that is oh. happening as a wedding. That's I'll be the there. I'm excited. By any chance, did your eyes meet across a kitchen hall? 
I need to wear my hair as I was playing on the wall with my t-shirt over my head. I was pretending to be Milhouse from The Simpsons. He is the man for me. As long as the first dance is The first dance will not be Wonderwall. Genuinely, and I haven't told anyone this, so if this doesn't make it in, and you go, Jared, I'm happy. I am writing our first dance because I'm a composer. Really live with. Um, so let's talk a bit then about your composing. So you have your own company called No Distance Productions. I do, yeah. Let's talk a bit about that. What do you do as part uh, of No Distance? So no Distance Productions basically bore out the fact that I was recording a lot of people um, in a kind of mobile rig that I wanted to... Uh, people record best when they're relaxed, as you may find tonight by the fact that we're all sat around chatting and drinking. Um, especially with music. So the idea with no distance was no distance is that I would turn up in my car with a kind of uh, flight case that was full of everything we could record in bedrooms, in uni halls. We've recorded in rehearsal rooms, living rooms. We've recorded records for people in churches. Um, we've done mixing and mastering for all sorts. It was a project that kind of bore out of a song that I wrote uh, where the lead line was distance isn't anything it's just one more thing to figure out and that's been the mentality of the uh, company that regardless of where people are we want to be able to record we want to be able to make music with them so we'll do everything that we can to fit around them and uh, make some music and add to the noise of the cosmos from that one line alone, I can see why you're getting engaged. I was going to say, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wrote a song, which is one of the re- one of the ways that I asked her, and uh, yeah, you can find that online if you find the yeah. distance productions. You can find that song. I mean, not that it's related, but after you said that line, I have just noticed one lady in this room is pregnant. Yeah. Oh. So, what can I say? I've got a power. <laughs> I've got a power in a small soundproof for recording room. Yeah, we're we're in your habitat. <laughs> we are, this is this is literally my zone. And you do like a lot of collaboration work in your music, as you've sort of said as well, like giving people new opportunities and you sort of recording as and when you can, whenever you can, wherever you can. Um, and you also work in education as well, and music's a big part of I that do. for you I, as well. Like I should say. Uh, as a point of record today I, I'm a music teacher secondary school music teacher and at the point of record today is the last day of term so I'm in a kind of very weird headspace in that I've got everything done for about two weeks <laughs> for the first time in about a year um, but yeah no I work in education I absolutely love it because part of it comes from the kind of punk mentality that I grew up with which is if you can make music you should make music um, and so when we spoke about this project first, it was amazing to just be like, okay, I can just write something and I can give it to you that you can edit it, you can change it, you can chop it around um, because it's going to be something that I've created, I've given out and it's now anyone's to change with. And it's been genuinely like the the most amazing thing. Like I collect film soundtracks, I love film scores and I love scores and composing and all that sort of thing. And literally with Patrick, it's been like the easiest thing in the world. I sent him Joe's script um, and just sort of said, it's this sort of vibe, this is what we're going for, you know, etc. And he's come back with the most amazing music, as you will hear in the podcast episode tonight. And it's just, the tone was matched like immediately. And it, it's it's just such a lovely piece of music. So um, if anybody is out there, if you are wanting to record music, if you have something to say music-wise, um, you can get in touch with Patrick at nodistanceproductions at gmail.com if you want to record some music with him. I'm sure he'd be very willing. He's taking bookings. He's very excited. But only in the next year, because then he's getting married. Yeah. and then you know, No, no, <laughs> I need more. <laughs> 
Come on. Weddings are expensive. <laughs> so are expensive, come on, let's so. make a record. And that's <laughs> genuinely so lovely to hear. Thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Um, and as well with that, you know, music's a big part of education as well for you. What what sort of things do you sort of get up to in in your classroom? Do you make kids like force kids to sing Wonderwall on the key? I, I don't force it? kids to sing Wonderwall. <laughs> I'm yet to bring Wonderwall upon them. That's uh, that's <laughs> the next scheme of work. No. Um, it's it's genuinely amazing because you uh, music's something that's so important and I've written so much about this as part of my training and part of my masters and if anyone wants to read it then send me an email I happily send you my essays but um, <laughs> light uh, reading there light reading all across the spectrum of every country every time they increase music lessons uh, grades go up happiness goes up and things like that singing uh, if you sing you get happier as students are. There was an amazing survey in 2013 um, of a Finnish school that did an hour and a half of singing every day and they found that people attainment, people engagement and people happiness went up. Um, music is something that's so ingrained into human beings. It's something that's so easy to suddenly do. You're always a part of it whether you realise you're doing it or not. So if you've got a good music teacher who can engage that, who can create music and what they're doing, while at the same time juggling all the other aspects of education, then they are the best people in the world. They're going to make a difference and they're going to be the people that stay with you for 20 years. So I can give nothing but love to any music teachers that are out there, any music educators or educators full stop. Um, that you're doing the greatest job in the world when you realise the impact you're having on children's futures and you're creating the next generation. But that's enough of me being a little bit sad. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, music, music's such an amazing thing and I love it and I would rather do nothing else with my life than just make music and it makes me the happiest to create music and especially create music for cool uh, projects and things like that. Oh. And we are absolutely thrilled to have you on this podcast as well and be featuring your work, so that's amazing. Thank you so much. I mean... Every time someone goes for a, like a really emotional thing, I realise I've got the last question. We'll bring it light, everyone. We'll bring it light like, and then we'll flip it, it onto yeah, the rest yeah. of the people in this room, so don't worry. <laughs> Your company is called No Distance. If you had to pick a distance, what would you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say we had a good distance That's between the two of us in this room because we're close enough to have some sort of connection, but far enough away that if you lunge quickly, I feel I can get out of the room. So we're also joined in the room by all of our lovely actors and there are lots of us in here tonight and this is becoming a very, very hot room so thank you for being very patient from us. Um, Nick, let's start with you. Nick, Hello. you voiced the lovely William Bryce, or yeah. not so lovely. Sir William Bryce. Sir William Bryce, sorry, I forgot the sir. He is lovely. He's he been is horribly lovely. wronged by his nasty wife. Ah, yes, oh, of course. Uh, so, Nick, you are originally from behind the camera. You yes. have worked as a director for many, many years uh, and then you went to Mountview and uh, now you uh, are on the stage for the likes of the RSC and you worked along people like alongside people like Tom Hardy on Taboo. Yeah. Very exciting things. Um, for 40 us... seconds. Let's not get over exciting. <laughs> I think I was alive for about 40 seconds. You were alive and then you died. I was seconds. dead for, for about a minute. Yeah. So it's still it's still very exciting. Yeah. So tell us sort of where you've come from, what you're doing, and what is next for you? Uh, well, I was, I was a multi-camera studio director in tele-production for about 20 years. Um, uh, very long, it's a very long, boring story. But I, would, I did came up through sort of youth theatre and doing lots of Amdram when I was a kid and did all of that and then toyed briefly with going to drama school but did the sensible thing and 
got a degree, so I read drama at Bristol and then carried on doing the Amdram and fell into TV production. And then suddenly I kind of had a career and suddenly that took off and I was getting great work. So I, that's the route I went on. And then I got to... I took voluntary redundancy from the... I was at the BBC for 14 mm. years and took um, voluntary redundancy and quite quickly was having to kind of sell myself as a director and how passionate I was about directing. And I was kind of like, oh, hang on a minute. It was like... There was something else I was... And I love the directing, don't mm. get me wrong. I still do bits of it. But but I, it just never left me, the, the need or the want to, to perform. So um, after a bit of soul-searching, back and forth, back and forth, I did a three-week summer school at the Poor School um, in King's Cross to sort of just sound myself out, really, about whether I'd respond, respond to training, whether I was good enough to be doing it. Um, and that went well, and so I took the plunge and auditioned to drama school. So, um, and ended up at Mountview doing their postgraduate course. So that was that, and I came out. <laughs> let's talk, I came let's out not talk about drama three... school um, <laughs> in 2015, in, in the summer of 2015. Nearly three years ago now. Same for yeah. me as well. So yeah, and Joe as well. Yeah, here. Um, so it's been it's been a little while, but now you are about to go on tour, I believe. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing. It's, it's, it's an interesting piece. I'm doing this thing called the String Quartet's Guide to Sex and Anxiety, which is a new piece which has been devised by a Spanish director called Calixto Bieto, um, which we're doing in the main house of the Birmingham Rep for a week, and then we're taking it around some of the festivals in Europe. So we're doing Brighton, Luxembourg, Spain, uh, Bilbao in Spain, and Amsterdam. Are you excited? Yeah, I can't wait. It's just really exciting, and it's a four-hander. Um, exploring um, all aspects of kind of melancholy and mental health and depression, um, which he's put together, and then we are accompanied on stage by a string quartet wow. as well. So yes. it's going to be really exciting and really, really interesting. I think a really new, exciting mm, piece yeah. yeah. I was going to say when I first heard the title of this, I thought that I couldn't think of anything worse than if I had some kind of anxiety. There being a string quartet in yeah. the room. Like if there was a horribly awkward moment during <laughs> sexual proceedings and then just all of a sudden I hear like, dun, dun, dun. Yes. Terrified <laughs> in the background. Accompanying your yes. life. Yeah. It'd be awful. Are you easily scared? I'm getting this impression <laughs> <laughs> as we go through. You haven't heard No Sleep. It's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's a lot of string quartets going on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we also have in the room the lovely Bronwyn Price, who mm -hmm. plays Lady Amelia Bryce. Uh, you're from Wales. I am. And yes. now a London lady. Yes. Uh, and you trained at the Oxford School of Drama and have sort of been doing lots and bits of pieces ever since then. Um, and you've sort of moved more into voiceover sort mm. of in more recent months. Um, tell us about the move, the shift from doing sort of more stage productions and that sort of thing and moving into sort of audio books and that. How was that journey for you moving from one it to the was, other? It was good, but also it was something I suppose with the way your life changes as you get older within the acting world, it does happen. Um, and having children was a big part of it. Mm. Um, and just the shift from touring and all those kind of demands. I wanted to do something that was a little bit more, uh, sort of something that you could control more yourself. I think voice work is much more like that. It's much more manageable. It's chunked up more. You can work from home. Um, it just is, it's, it, it's sat more easily, but also I really like it too. I love the use of the voice. I really like the technical aspect of it all. So mm. yeah, it's, it's also challenging. Audiobooks. Audiobooks, lovely. Yeah. Like and have you got anything yeah. coming up more recently? I've and just finished something. 
That's where I'm at. So I've just finished off a trilogy, which was quite hard work. Oh, lovely. Tell us a bit about uh, that. It's a sort of middle grade trilogy for uh, middle grade children. It's about nine to 12, I think, roughly. Mm. Um, so sort of, it's quite, uh, yeah, it, they're very long books. Um, I suppose that's why kind of like as you, as you prepare, you're like, oh, God, this is 400 pages. This is quite a long, it's quite a long book for children. And lots and lots of different characters sort of set in South America, but all sorts of people from Africa pop in. And there are animal voices as well. So it was a big kind of big challenge in terms of mm. um, differentiating all your animals as well as your characters. And is that is that like, you know, it must be great fun for you sort of a, a, attributing a different sort of voice for a different mm. sort of animal as well. Yeah. You know, really gives you a lot more sort of It is range. fun. I think everyone sort of feels about audiobooks before they do it. Like, wow, what a lot of fun just reading for a living. Yay, and you get to read stories and do voices. <laughs> and it is fun, but also it is very sort of technically demanding because you've got to remember the voices for a start and you've got to think about how they different they've got to be different that's mm. the point you've and got to make sure enough. yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and if you're thinking about harpy eagle versus an egret i don't know how many of you know what an egret actually is but mm. different types of birds you know it's on game of thrones yeah possibly <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Perhaps. Um, but yeah so that was yeah it's challenging challenging but, but yeah. good fun yeah really good it is really good rigorous but good <laughs> And Nikki, you are also a regular reader of audiobooks. You do a lot of voice work. Nikki's husband, as well, I'm going to drop this in. Uh, Nikki's husband also features on the podcast. Uh, yeah. We won't reveal to the public who he is, but Nikki's husband Ooh. also is a featured voice on this podcast mm. as well. Uh, and as husband and wife duo, you are a powerhouse in voice. <laughs> I'm going to say that. He's done way, way, way more. I mean, he's done over 100. I mean, it's but sort of... together. And, yeah. and I'd just like to clarify, when we cast this, it was only at the read-through last week that it was revealed to me that Nikki and her husband are married. And it was totally unintentional. And I had no idea. And it was announced to me <laughs> when I got there. And I was completely shocked, but utterly thrilled at the same time. And you have done, as, as similar to Bromwick, you've done lots of voice work. Um, you featured on every third thought for... BBC Book of the Week, um, yeah. and you are also the co-artistic director of a theatre company uh, called Open Bar, That's which right. sounds the best theatre company in the world. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more. Tell us a bit about I'm that. Intrigued. <laughs> uh, we tour. Um, well, at the moment, we t we have a contract with Fuller's to tour Shakespeare to their pub gardens over the summer. Oh, nice! Um, Amazing. So we're doing two shows over the summer. We're doing um, Much Ado About Nothing and Midsummer Night's Dream. Much to do as a four person. Wow. Um, well, yeah, I'm just about to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I started my prep. Um, in between starting directing those two shows, I will be having a baby, my second <laughs> baby. Um, so we will have a toddler and a baby in rehearsals um, for quite a lot of it as well. Uh, great which fun. Is, great fun. We'll say exciting. Whether it's a better word, yeah. We'll see how. Chaotic. Yeah. Um, my husband, whose name I'm not the world, who you will come across later in the podcast, he will be in one of those shows as well. Brilliant. Um, because it wasn't mad enough already. Um, <laughs> Get the whole family involved. Why not? Why not? Get everybody absolutely. Absolutely. Well, my son has taken to it incredibly. We produced five shows in his first year on earth. <laughs> I directed four of them, um, and which was at fantastic like he I mean we had no right like for him to be as good as he was like Did we he just kind of just roles yeah just I was gonna say it. no he just tootled around well for you know for the first sort of 
Now, how many months from how many months mm. do they sort of stay where you put them? About Ooh, eight, maybe eight. Nine. Yeah, maybe about eight, eight months. Roughly. You put them in a place and they're still there when you come back. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Just put them in the corner of the room, they'll still be there. Um, feed them, like, you know, so that's all of that's much more straightforward. Then by the time we were rehearsing last summer, he was um, pulling himself up on things. So we were rehearsing in pub you know function rooms <laughs> he was crawling around pulling himself up on, on pub tables and things um which was slightly more not stealing yeah, drinks yeah not quite well, i mean it definitely yeah, yeah i think if he'd known what was in the taps he probably would have had a go but um <laughs> but this is father's son um <laughs> but yes oh, that's why we um, but yes, yeah, so it's all going to be really kicking off in June. We start all of that. So June is when the performances start. That's when the rehearsals start. Rehearsals start, and performances will be from. Performances will be from. So we, the first one, the four person much ado, starts in July, and then the it's our six our six person midsummer, which is going to involve um, a rig and quite a lot of aerial work. I'm assuming back to the bar. <laughs> I'm assuming then it's not kind of shit face Shakespeare kind of style. No, because um, <laughs> that there involving aerial it's work will be dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. There is a tiny bit of potentially stealing drinks, but we try and keep the drinking until our, like the, the actors drinking until after the show. Do you finished. get aggressive hecklers because you're in pub gardens a lot? Oh uh, yeah, but yeah, we um, <laughs> <laughs> we do. We have to have we have two intervals. To kind of maximise the drinking, <laughs> um, and then uh, yeah, definitely by the second one, we sort of have catch-up songs at the beginning of each sort of section, Brilliant. just to make sure that everyone hasn't totally lost their way. Making sure that you're all with us, <laughs> yeah, as we start just the next trying step up. to trying to sum up what's what's happened so far, um, and it mostly works. And then the audience sort of tend to get more involved as we get because as in most Shakespeare plays. More everyone songs. everyone ends up on stage together by the end mm. and so it gets more chaotic obviously with a small cast you kind of have to start dragging people up to play the parts that yeah. are missing so <laughs> yeah. um, so we did comedy of errors last year and Aegean had to be recast as a member of the audience so the sort of the father who has this emotional sort of moment and to be oh, like amazing. just handed a script and a costume <laughs> and dragged up <laughs> normally totally wankered and, <laughs> and have an emotional scene with the abbess Brilliant. Um, <laughs> and these are going on all around the UK or just in London um, because it's Fuller's um, they sort of there's sort of like a spread from Ch from the brewery in Chiswick Fuller's kind of spreads out so we are going um, potentially as far as Bath and um, the New Forest but it's oh, sort of it? this, this sort of south sort of off the back is that as well um, Bronwyn and Nikki you are mm. both um, actors and mothers as well how does that play against managing your work workload how do you find sort of doing both does voiceover help as well in that sort of medium is it easy to sort of work from home and that sort of thing how do you how do you juggle the two Mm, for any um, mothers yeah. who are out there who want to be actors <laughs> or vice versa <laughs> this is what to do um, yeah I think it. well you don't have to tour mm. usually I've never been asked to tour have you <laughs> for the voice job I don't think that happens no. um, and it's much more bite sized mm. and it can be quite sort of nine to five it can fit in with childcare you know no yeah. all that sort of boring stuff um, but it's just I think what I said before the idea that you're more in control of it it feels like more of a controllable 
uh, performance somehow. Do you agree, Nikki? Do you, yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's more of a sense of, I don't know, you're less at the whim of... Well, it's slightly different for me because my partner, because my husband is also an actor, so we kind of swap. So we haven't been sort of restricted by, like, we we very much co-parent. So one of us just has to, one of us has to be at home, Mm. um, which makes a massive difference. Mm. And also because I run my own company, everyone else just has to lump it. Like, like, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, there are kids in rehearsal. Like, you You have to have them. Occasionally you can just play that. Extra mascots. Like, waving your flags. A kind of good benchmark of what a pissed audience member is going to be. A toddler is a fairly (laughs) good... Yeah, brilliant. (laughs) My background is in children's theatre and actually the the attention span is so similar. (laughs) And also their ability to, like, to heckle slash, like, you know, not give you any quarter on... Yeah, well, especially wet themselves, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's very similar. Actually, yes, really similar, really similar. Um, So yeah, we're talking about aerial work in one of your shows. That's not just having the child as some sort of cherub on a plane, (laughs) just to make sure he doesn't move anywhere. Really, just just lock them down in an aerial space. Mum, what are you doing? Maybe do that. Stick a bat, hang a bouncer off the rig. Yeah, anyway, we still have a lot of other actors in the room. Mr. Stanley Eldridge. Oh. Yeah. Douglas Furs. That's right, yeah. <laughs> what, what do you want to know? Well, we Definitely. have... Uh, I haven't given you a lot of information, to be fair. No, so far you've been quite cryptic. <laughs> and um, you've done you've done quite a bit of more, more work recently, voiceover-wise. Um, you've sort of bit, done yeah. things like The Murderer, The Telltale Heart, Goldberg, The Birthday Party, Tony and The Search Party. Yeah. How have you found that? You've done a lot of sort of theatre as well. How has that transparency? Voice, voice, voice is really fun. I, I can't claim to be a veteran or work professionally in it like Bronwyn and and everyone else who's, who's done it and what we were talking about music wise, producing and. Um, but voice is really cool from my point of view as an actor. I'm a, I'm six foot three and ginger. You know, <laughs> just to give you all that image. Just, just to give you all that one. Um, so I find it tough sometimes to be considered for, for certain parts that I really like playing, like like Douglas in this is. Uh, the way I see him is probably 5'8", kind of black hair, balding maybe a bit at the back, early 30s. Playing characters that I feel like I, 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 I've got somewhere in my head and in my kind of, you know, my body somewhere. But, um, you know, going into an audition room somewhere else, people are like, no way. Do you think there's any kind of additional bits that you can actually pitch yourself for more because you've gotten that opportunity, or would you be willing to dye your hair to, say, get Douglas's part <laughs> show? Uh, well, this is the thing, isn't it, like... I don't know. I... Don't get rid of the ging. It's no, too good. Think, be proud of it. Matthew, as well, this is your first podcast and first voice acting experience as well. It is. So this is, this yeah. is a whole, whole big new thing for you, mate. Um, yeah. By the time this first episode airs as well, Matthew, you'll have just finished um, starring as Banquo in the Scottish play at the Old Rep Birmingham and you are now going on to be performing the reduced Complete Works of Shakespeare at the Wimbledon Studio Theatre in May. In May, yeah, that's right, yeah. So for you guys as well, sort of moving into podcasts, is this very different to what you've done before in terms of obviously it's sort of similar voiceover radio wise, but is that something that you've wanted to get into for a while or is it, or is it you know, how has the experience been for you guys, I guess? It's something that's always um, been very interesting uh, to me. I've I've had the sort of home rig, very basic sort of uh, mic stand, duvet, but not even a duvet, um, <laughs> just a rug <laughs> stapled Matthew's to the, the wall. Matthew doesn't have a duvet. <laughs> 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 I 
I've been London <laughs> living, for a man. job London for a while. I seemed naked, man. <laughs> I seemed like it was meant to be. <laughs> Soon one day I dream of a, of a duvet. <laughs> one of those continental blankets. It's a catch-22. Once you make enough of a voice server, you can get a duvet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the aim. Um, but no, I... I um, I really appreciate Stan's point with um, being able to sort of venture into a, a broader uh, array of, of characters, you know, not being restricted by your type um, or by your brand as an actor. Um, being able to play whatever you can put a voice to is really interesting. Um, but something I've... Probably the, the, the biggest struggle I've faced coming from stage into voice work is having to fill all of the space. Uh, and knowing that that silence is is dead time no no one's able to appreciate what's going on um with you internally if you're not presenting it in in some way mm. shape or or form like um to be void of facial expression of body language is is so li- i'm gesturing so much right now <laughs> um, there's no shame in that that's a tiny <laughs> point um and and to be sort of um stripped of that can be quite I don't know. Um, scary for an actor, I guess. I I I think I speak for a lot mm. of people when it's, when I say mm. we rely on an element mm. of communication that isn't verbal. It's uh, such a yeah. minimalist mm. medium, I think, mm. and it's. I mean, you all of you guys are fabulous. Just saying, um, and oh, sure. especially this this episode has been has been great because it's brought people who are sort of more seasoned performers to this sort of art form. People who knew never done it before, um, you know, and it's been a case of it's been uh, you know a great learning curve for everyone, I think. But as well, it's been lovely to sort of find things and hopefully you guys taking away things that you've sort of like come across and and learn and stuff as well but it's really nice to sort of meet people who are doing their sort of first experience in this as well um but as you say it is it is that thing where you are so devoid in a way of so much of what you are used to doing as an actor all the time she says gesturing wildly at the microphone (laughs) but you are and you have to reduce it to simply your voice and I think it's about thinking and honing all at the same time you know everything that you're used to doing into one singular thing so I think it's very interesting Mm. but I think if I could just cut across I think that there is a certain amount of physicality that does then translate into the voice that you mm. can't, yeah. you shouldn't or forget that. Yeah, to the yeah, smile, yeah. you can always mm. hear the smile, and it's worth. I think it's worth gesturing because it kind of comes through in some way. It does sort of Com- translate somehow. I, mm. I, I find sometimes film, film, I feel really restricted. And I remember mm. when I first started doing voice, I felt really restricted. And and sometimes in my voice reels, I felt really restricted. Mm. But you're so right. I think that mm. if you allow yourself the freedom to go, well, no, let that breath. How do you yeah, feel? And yeah. it re- every, mm. every little nuance of your body in, in, in ends up affecting your voice. Mm. Mm. Because if you and and then the inversely, if you put pressure on yourself to go, well, I've got nothing to play with except my yeah. voice. Yeah, you, you end up saying like Stephen Stephen Toast. Yeah, yeah, immediately toast the place. I mean, from the actual recording aspect as well. Um, when we've done radio recording before, you actually have to watch every minute of silence or anything because. On radio, if you have more than like two or three seconds of silence, it will automatically assume that the air's dead and cut to something else and we'll just immediately make sure. Whereas if you have a podcast, fuck all happens. (laughs) (laughs) It's just fantastic that you have that opportunity to then be able to just make those little bits of tension which 
in reality and a normal conversation mm. do happen and mm. you can't have in the arches or anything like that mm. Mm. and I think especially in horror it's the it's the clearest thing because silent there's nothing mm. more terrifying than silence mm. yeah. 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 especially yeah. when mm. especially when it's such a close uh, sort of intimate medium of your headphones so to to be able to do that but not let that space be dead I think mm. it's testament to mm -hmm. the talent in the room that yeah. you guys are working towards that to create mm. something that is so tension wrought and tension filled Without, as you say, feeling like this, but also would mm. not be possible without you because in oh, every horror film, but in every in every horror film, what builds the tension? Oh. What what makes yeah. you jump at the <laughs> exact precise moment? It's yeah. the music. It's the things yeah. that keeps you sort of leading. Down I mean, the that path that wasn't why I led the conversation. <laughs> Joe, you have you. This is sort of one of your first forays into writing, yeah. and you chose to write horror. Yeah. Um, why? Why, immediately, why <laughs> immediately was that sort of the first thing that you went to? Would you not have sort of rather gone for a sort of classical piece or anything like that? Horror's interesting, isn't it? We often feel, you know, horror to be, you don't want to be scared. Being scared is a negative emotion. Usually when we watch or listen to entertainment, we want to be made happy or we want to laugh. Or, you know, feel a positive emotion. And horror is really interesting. Why do people actively seek out something that will scare them to mm. an extent? But it's from a kind of a big horror fan myself, you you listen to stuff that is scary. You watch stuff that is scary because it's almost like kind of a safe space. You know the parameters. You get this like nice little adrenaline buzz. You know nothing bad is going to happen to you. But it's that kind of weird frame, isn't it, that you're watching something that makes these kind of fun, scary feelings emanate that you, you can feel in like, yeah, this kind of positive space, if that makes sense. It's like all. a catharsis. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But yeah, it's kind of horrors interesting and what we've said before, it's kind of, especially with an audio medium, it's that much more intimate experience of writing something for someone where you're kind of almost locked in with your earphones and it's happening for you and no one else can hear what's going on. It feels, to an extent, isolating, but that's kind of the beauty of it. If that doesn't make me sound like a crazy sadist. No, no, <laughs> no it does. But it's, it's, there's no, something it does. safer it about does. you can it always remove those headphones. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then yeah. 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 You're, you're in complete control. Yeah. yeah. If you so want to get off the ride, take it off. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a ghost train to an extent. But, though, I wonder about your play. It's about mm. the audio, isn't it? And it's about audio yes. taking over. Yes. So I like how, how actually it's not that safe because mm -hmm. you're listening to it on the podcast. Like, is it going to. That's the end of tonight's after show. Thank you so much, guys, um, for all coming along and agreeing to be a part of this. Um, and for more information on everybody involved in tonight's episode and for the rest of the series, please go to our website, jtunvoiced.squarespace.com, or follow us on Twitter at jtunvoiced. Guys, thank you so much for being a part of this. Thank it's been Tonight's unvoiced after show was hosted by Louisa Smith and Aaron Rush. For more information on this and all of our other episodes, check out our website at jtunvoiced.squarespace.com or follow us on Twitter at jtunvoiced. This is Unvoiced.